The Old Testament reading today is Psalm 16. You find it at page 542 of your pew Bibles. And it's a tough psalm to read right after that. Thanks, Lindsay. Tough act to follow. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of John, um, chapter 20, starting with verse 19 through verse 31. It can be found on page 1088 in your pew Bible. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless, the fingernail, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were, I put my hand into his side. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Um, this morning, I am not going to talk about Thomas's doubt. That poor guy gets such a bad rap. Uh, it's a very reasonable reaction to his friend's impossible story. Um, if you want to hear about Thomas and his doubt, you can look back in our sermon podcasts to the first Sunday after Easter in just about every year. Thomas comes up a lot. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus' wounds. I spent the week thinking about how Jesus offered his wounds, first to the disciples and then again later the next week to Thomas. Um, I was thinking about how he offered his wounds and what that might mean for our wounds. It's a curious thing that Jesus' resurrected body bears the marks of the crucifixion. The rest of the passage um, makes clear that while Jesus, Jesus has a body, he's not just some ghostly figure, his body is transformed, right? It seems now he can pass through walls because um, he appears in the middle of the room, even though the doors are locked. But Jesus' body is still a body. Mary, when she met Jesus, held on to him. And, Jesus, when, or, and when Jesus goes in search of Peter, they eat together. It's a transformed body, but it's transformed body that still has scars. And if I were God choosing a resurrected form, I would have made that body pristine, right? Nary a wrinkle nor a callus, and certainly not the, remain, the remnants of the lashes of the whip or the holes from the nails and spear. I would have erased every marker of past pain. But Jesus seems to welcome his wounds. Debbie Thomas said that Jesus' body openly bears its traumatic history. And those marks were given to Jesus out of hatred and mockery in order to shame and humiliate him. They were an attempt to tell him that while he thought he was something special, really he was no one. No more than a common criminal, a spectacle, a warning to anyone who would challenge the power of Rome. But of course, Jesus' executioners had no idea what God was doing as they murdered him. It reminds me of uh, Joseph forgiving his brothers way back in Genesis 50. They had thrown him in a hole and left him for dead because they were jealous of him. But Joseph in Genesis 50 says, Do not be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And he forgives them. And I think Jesus kept those scars because of what, what God did with them. They became marks of love. Not as a reminder of our guilt, but as a reminder of divine empathy and forgiveness. That Jesus knows the worst 
of human suffering has borne it himself, that he knows the depths of our sin and has chosen to release us from that burden. Those scars are the sign of the extremes to which God will go for us, now indelibly marked in the triune God. The scars, and the scars become the way that most of Jesus' disciples recognize him. You know, there are other ways that Jesus um, makes himself known in the resurrection stories, and each of them significant for their own reasons. Mary recognizes Jesus when he calls her name. Peter, by a miraculous catch of fish. And the disciples on the, for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's in the breaking of the bread. But for the disciples in that room, and for Thomas... The clearest marker of who Jesus is, is not his face and not his voice, but his wounds. Maybe because the best way to see Jesus is to see his love. Now we can no longer look at Jesus' wounds the way the disciples could. But the body of Christ still bears wounds, both in Jesus' ascended body and also here in this body of Christ, the gathered church. Are we not wounded, each one of us? But if we allow it, God will do similar work with our wounds as he did with Jesus. Our wounds are not usually things that we have chosen, right? They usually take us by surprise, often as children. But no matter how they came, God takes it all. Even what people meant for harm. Even that things that can seem useless and totally unnecessary, and God uses it for good. Now, I'm not saying everything happens for a reason. But I am saying that our God brings dead things back to life. As we struggle through the pain of our wounds, persist in offering them to God. Call them our cross and follow Jesus to Golgotha with them. And then down into the tomb, we will find resurrection there. And then our scars too will begin to shine with the love of God. So that when we look at them, when we show them to others, Instead of seeing the hatred of the world, we will begin to see the kindness of our God. And there's no question about whether or not we'll be wounded. That's not a choice we get to make. We will be, most of us already have been. Worse, sometimes we are the source of each other's deepest wounds. I have both been harmed by the church and harmed others in my role as pastor, despite my best intentions. The pastor, Will Willimon, wrote, Believe me, I know the church and its weaknesses. In fact, I am one of the church's greatest weaknesses. The church may be Christ's body, but it is a crucified body, shot through with gaping wounds, nail holes in its hands and feet. And Sherman Street is no different and I'm no different as one of its pastors. If you're here or on Zoom with us 
expecting or hoping that you finally have found a church where this won't happen, I would expect that you won't be here very long. By the grace of God, we are the body of Christ. But we still confess our sins each week because we still have to. But what I hope for us is that whether our wounds come in the church doors with us or whether we find them here, that we can learn to bear those wounds together with one another and with Jesus, knowing that the resurrection means that the darkness of the tomb is never final, that there is no wound deep enough that cannot be healed. that no matter the intention of those who caused harm, God can use it for good. Like Jesus' wounds given to him out of fear and hatred and mockery, a desire to control and crush him, our wounds, too, can become beacons of hope, signs of love, proof of the living God, even the very path to our own abundant life. But here's the difficult part. You cannot go around the suffering to get there. You have to go through it. You have to even learn to welcome it. If we refuse to suffer the hurt, we will spend our lives pushing that suffering onto other people. Long after the wound has been inflicted, we can still be working hard to resist the pain. And that will only harden and embitter us. You know, we can try to numb out the pain, but that will also take the joy. And God has never asked us to pretend. If we resist the reality of the pain, reality will recede. And we will live with only our shadows plaguing us, even as we, terrified, try with everything we can to hold them at bay. And none of this should be a surprise to Christians. right? We don't believe in avoidance. We believe in resurrection. And to be resurrected, you have to go into the tomb. I've been listening to uh, Beth Moore's memoir lately. Um, If you decide to pick it up, uh, just for that and for what I'm about to say, like, trigger warning. Um, She has had a hard life, including being abused by her father. She mostly spent her time growing up avoiding her past and pushing down the memories, trying to get on with life. But one day, her pastor, um, well-meaning, asked her if she would go and hear the story of a missionary who had asked to talk with someone about her own abuse. And Beth Moore reluctantly went. Something in the missionary's story made Moore's own story flood her like never before. It broke her. She began to have flashbacks. She checked out. She has no memory of the rest of the interaction. No idea if she was helpful or harmful. It's as if she invited someone to touch her wound, not realizing that she wasn't ready for it yet. 
She hadn't borne all that suffering yet. She hadn't been into the tomb with it, and so the pain was right there waiting for her. She spent the next months flailing in deep grief, just barely able to get through the day doing what she had to do. But she said that at night, she would fall into the abyss. Sometimes her husband would wake up and find her cowering on the floor behind the chair. But whether she knew it or not at the time, Jesus was right there with her. And eventually, he led the way out. And coming out of that space, um, she wrote a Bible study called Breaking Free. Now, I haven't looked at it. I have no idea what I think of its content. But it was healing for thousands of women. Her wounds became an offering to God and a sign of God's love for the world. And her story shows so many things. You know, there's a reason why that missionary, people like her, people who have suffered deeply, seek out someone who knows their own wounds when they want to tell their story. Right? There's something about having been wounded that makes us more hospitable. It quiets down all our feelings like we know what's going on and we can fix the situation. But as long as we're resisting the pain, resisting the deaths that our pains require, as Beth Moore was, they do the opposite. They constrict our ability to be open to others. We cannot look at their suffering because we cannot look at our own. But when we have descended with them, which you can do with prayer, in prayer, or with a friend, or with a therapist, and often it takes a long time and it is not nearly a straight path, even our wounds can become a source of healing for the world. Henry Nouwen says that then our wounds become a sign of hope Signs of the promises of God. It shouldn't really be surprising that resurrection is the way to healing. Like, I think we know it even in just, like, conversations about pain, right? Like, when someone is hurting deeply, there are things that help and things that don't. What doesn't help is when someone tries to cheer them up or diminish their pain, try to force them to avoid their own pain, right? And so someone loses a child and we say, well, you have two other healthy ones. Or like, at least you know you can get pregnant. Pretty much anything that starts with at least is a bad idea. <laughs> you have to let people hurt. They have to go through the darkness. It's the only way out. And often they need someone to go with them. That's what helps. When someone is willing to walk with them into the death of their hope, in the death of their love, and to stay there with them in the mud. I had a good friend uh, in college who sat with me when I was heartbroken over a boy. I cried and I flailed and raged. <laughs> I oscillated back and forth between anger at him and anger at myself and anger at the injustice of the whole thing. 
And my friend just sat with me for something like two hours. And mostly she was just silent. She let me process the death of the relationship, of my hopes in it, of my sense of self in it. And when I calmed down a bit on my own, she said something like, okay, let's go now. And we went for a coffee and we got, went for a walk. Like, I wasn't done. It was a long time before I was done. But what a gift that she didn't try to cheer me up. She didn't try to force happier thoughts on me. She went with me where I needed to go, and that was into the darkness. And when it seemed like I was ready, she very gently showed me the way toward the light. She had been there before. She knew the way. On the other hand, I told some of the elders at our last church that I was struggling with depression, and they preached at me for the next 20 minutes. All their, you just gotta trust Jesus, felt like what they were really saying was just shove it down, pretend it's gone, be a better Christian. And I wished I could run out of the room. I did not feel loved, and I certainly did not feel better. I felt inadequate and small, now also guilty and in pain. The thing that makes someone good at caring for someone for another who is suffering is usually if they have suffered that themselves and they have let themselves suffer. Like Jesus, they have become well acquainted with grief. They have not shied away from their own wounds, but have welcomed them. And their scars, like Jesus' scars, have been offered to you, a signpost to mark the way to life. What I want for our church is not that we become perfect people. I mean, that would be nice, but it's not realistic. <laughs> what I want for our church is that we learn to offer our wounds to God and to one another. That we learn to see God's mercy even in the most difficult spaces. Because we learn to follow Jesus into the darkness of the tomb and back out again, still bearing the scars but seeing that the scars then have become something new, transformed with the rest of Jesus' resurrected body. I mean, that's how I've come to think about conflict resolution. I talk about this all the time. But entering into those tough conversations is one way of entering into the tomb. And it often means you have to bear your wounds. But we can do that as Christians, confident that there is resurrection on the other side. It is terrifying, especially if you've grown up with abusive families or if you've never seen a conflict resolve. It is terrifying. And it is a way of refusing to let brokenness and separation and death be the last word. That's why we offer circles here, a way to try to give you space to, give you, to make a space that will make the terror just a little bit less. And you don't have to go in alone. It's a way of holding pain together, walking through the darkness into the light. It's also, that is also why we practice circles for other reasons that aren't so conflicted and tense, so that we can learn some of the skills for conflict before it arises. 
making it just a little easier to go that difficult way. Because the church is full of wounded people. There is just no way that we will not hurt one another. In fact, if we're doing our job well, if we are truly welcoming people, their full selves, if we are really making space for them and they start to feel safe, it is likely that their pain will show up. And it usually does not show up gently. It shows up in overreaction, in all the violence of their past wounds. So we have to learn to hold one another in those broken places. To hold one another before God with the patience to endure suffering and the hope and confidence of coming out the other side. We have to learn to enter into the tomb together. That we might come out a little bit more whole, a little bit more alive perhaps bearing scars, but scars that will point us to the love of God, that will point us to God's relentless work to heal and reconcile the whole of God's good creation. We do all of this with our wounded, risen Savior. He has been there before, and he knows the way. He has offered us his wounds as proof that the resurrection is real, as proof that God is for us and will not, no matter what, give up on us. What mercy that Jesus, rising again, chose to bear the scars of a wounded body, a traumatic past. And he chose this wounded body too. We are not perfect not pristine, but he is making something beautiful here. Our wounds, given to him, become like his, signs of the everlasting love of God. Please pray with me. Lord God, for those for whom um, they know their wounds well and that the pain is too sharp, we pray that you would be with them and that we would be with them. allowing whatever hopes or self-understandings or possible futures or loves, allowing those things to die. And Lord, we pray that we would know through these pains something of your resurrection. You are making all things new. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name.
Amen.